The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freightline, helping the world keep promises. Jim Harbaugh channels his inner Lech Walesa. Nick Saban channels his inner Jim Harbaugh. And Ryan Day has his quarterback or two. This is the College Game Day podcast for Wednesday, August 30th, the day before a full slate of Thursday games on week one. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. Coming soon to join us will be Bill Connolly, who is looking forward to collecting a fabulous gift card for winning the race for the ribeye last year. Bill will look ahead to the weekend, but Pete, the thing that I led the podcast with was Jim Harbaugh won't be on the sidelines Saturday for Michigan's game against East Carolina, but he certainly found a way to make a statement. He went about six minutes in his news conference talking about revenue sharing with the expansion of conferences and the explosion in media rights. He took the opportunity <laughs> to talk about revenue sharing. Perhaps there was a point in there someplace about, you know, well, he's paying a penalty of a three-game suspension, self-imposed, but as a result of these rules, and at the end of the day, we're not doing everything that we should be collectively as a sport for the players. What did you What did you think of uh, of Jim's diatribe? I agree a thousand percent with Jim Harbaugh, Reese. Uh, Me too. And 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 it's it's basically it's something. It's a theme we've talked about on the podcast, and we actually are going to have to name and have a pithier way of this theme. Uh, I believe I said. College football has to endure things sucking before they can get better. Now, that may be it goes all the way to court and the courts change things. That may be that there's a terrible result in how a playoff is uh, organized before it gets changed. Like we're going to endure a bunch of useless conference title games for TV revenue um, as as you know, for for the first five years of the 12 team playoff before we realize like these are dumb guys are going to get hurt. When we just can't say, okay, let's do the right thing and put the best 12 in the playoffs and, and scratch the conference title game because they're just irrelevant, even though they make a ton of money, right? So this is the financial version of that for college sports. They're going to either have to unionize. They're going to have to, you know, have some transformative court case. Like the players are going to get a chunk of this money, right? Like you just have to accept that at this point. It's where we are going. We are heading there at full steam and full throttle. And uh, this idea has come up with the SEC at some point and a uh, a lever for this, if you will, a mile marker for this is going to be the new CFP contract, not necessarily um, the last two of this one that have to be figured out pretty soon. But the first, you know, once the, the 12 team goes for its first eight, 10 year iteration, I think it's 10, um, that is just going to be a bonkers NFL level crazy deal. And it will make it will be so obvious to everyone except the greedy people running college sports trying to cling to their slice of the cookie that they should be sharing this with the players that eventually some outside entity is going to have to come in and siphon it out of their grubby hands. (laughs) Other than that, uh, you think they're willingly share it. The problem with it is I'm 100% for the revenue sharing. I've said this many times on the podcast. It's the only way out of all of this, a collectively bargained agreement. The issue is with whom do you collectively bargain? And the issue with a player's union is that the union members would turn over more frequently than they would in in the professional ranks. Although I understand the lifespan of a, 
you know, an NFL running back, for instance, is about the same as uh, the amount of time a guy spends in college. But typically, unions aren't happy about a continual churn in membership. So it may be something more akin to a trade association, but it has to be an entity that has the player's best interest at heart. Because otherwise, if you say, okay, we'll share this much of the revenue, then what you're talking about will come into play. Someone will say, well, that's not the right amount of revenue. And then they'll sue. And then we'll have all of these other outside forces coming in. So if we could find the right body to represent the players, get a collectively bargained agreement, that is the path forward for where we find ourselves in college sports. The path forward for Alabama, apparently, is to channel a little inner Jim Harbaugh. And for the first time, there aren't many firsts left in Nick Saban's tenure as a head coach and certainly as a head coach at Alabama. But for the first time in his 17-season openers, no depth chart. No depth chart for the Middle Tennessee game. Now, this bothers some people. This bothers me only because I like to look at the depth charts on Friday night as we get set for the Saturday morning show. But I don't find this as some big affront to nature. I don't think he's trying to hide his starting quarterback from Middle Tennessee. The one thing about Nick is that when he tells you why he's doing something publicly, more times than not, that is why he's doing it. He's, he said he wanted to keep the competition going, not only quarterback, but other players, creates undue stress. They have started this mantra of they want to go back to be this team that you don't want to compete against, and he doesn't want to undercut that. Sooner or later, he's going to have to put out a depth chart because the players already know what the depth chart is. They're in practice every day, and they know when they go to take their reps. Fair? Yes, very fair. Uh, Thoughts and prayers to my friend Tom Hart calling the game for the SEC Network on Saturday night. He's the one who really needs a depth chart. Hopefully, A prediction? A prediction? Tom will get one. Yeah, I would think so, too. Yeah, they're, so they're too. media I said that. Tom I will say that. Yeah. I say that jokingly, yeah. It's not Tom's first rodeo. Uh, I think I just saw it's his 12th year uh, at ESPN. He tweeted yesterday. So Tom will, Tom will get all the names and numbers right. There's no, there's no doubt about that. I do think this is portal tied in some ways because if you're the backup, it can put you on the, on the, on the apathy trailer to Tankville. You know what I mean? Like, oh, mm-hmm. man, I'm the third string. Oh, you know. So yeah, I do, right. I, yeah, I, I have no problem with it. Like there's the depth charts always been a nice, a nice bonus to have, but I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not affronted by, uh, by Nick, not, uh, not giving one. I, I can actually fully understand it, especially quarterback. One of those really good quarterbacks is going to be the fourth stringer. And one of them is going to be the fifth string. That's a right. bad day. Yeah. If you're, yeah. you know, five-star Eli Holstein and you're the fifth string quarterback, right? Like that's not good. You're, you know, then all of a sudden you got your, quarterback tutor your high school coach you know like it just it 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 plants seeds of doubt in someone's mind before labor day so i can i can empathize with nick's chair on that and it's not like the players need it for anything you're right like they eli holstein knows he's not starting on saturday so right yeah uh maybe an over under for how many quarterbacks play in that middle tennessee game before texas the next week and by the way i'm writing this down in my notebook as a possible segment for the podcast and maybe even the show Who's on the apathy trailer to Tanksville? <laughs> That's why you're a wordsmith, dude. The apathy trailer to Tanksville. Who, who's the conductor of, uh, of that train? Apathy trailer to Tanksville. 
Winnie the Pooh, who we put on for Teddy when we want to calm him down a little bit. Sometimes Elmo's a little too high energy, so we put on Pooh just so Teddy can kind of like relax before before a nap or something. So yeah, then Tigger can come in and ruin that vibe a little bit. But um, yeah. yeah, Winnie Winnie the Pooh, like he doesn't even do like a full toot toot. It's just like a meep meep. <laughs> well, okay, I'm going to completely take us off track. We have this Disney sorry game that we still play as a family. Sorry is a very simple game, you know? Oh, it's a this, great, like, yeah, post-Thanksgiving yeah. game. Yeah. Right, exactly. We play this from time to time when we all happen to be together. And one of the groups of Disney characters, um, the the green the green guys, one of them is Pooh. And huh. I'm typically the green team, and I have Pooh. And whenever Pooh bumps somebody... I always say, "Oh, hello there!" Like, <laughs> and then I bump them back to the start. Anyway, that's my that's my Winnie the Pooh contribution for right now. Uh, I'll uh, when I pick up Teddy at school today, I'll uh, I'll say, "Oh, say, hello there!" Yeah, do that. He'll like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, he likes him some like Pooh. He's 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 a little he's an interior lineman by build so far at eighteen months, and so I I joke with my my wife that uh, Teddy likes Winnie the Pooh because they have the same body type. So. <laughs> endearingly so yeah so not only alabama but ohio state at least yeah. has a starter at quarterback ryan day says they'll go with kyle mccord however devin brown will play um that's a little bit different than you know than the whole we're not going to tell anybody who's going to play that's the that's the clear signal that there's not separation there and that you're going to have to create separation within the game, starting with the Big Ten game uh, against a reeling Indiana program. Yeah, not surprising that McCord ended up with the with the nod early. And when I talked to Ryan Day about this on Friday, he said, we want to see what these guys look like in games. Like, it's just a different deal. You know, the way practices are run now with a lot of no contact. And um, yeah, and look, like Ohio State is likely to dispatch Indiana somewhat handily, but there will be adversity in those games. Tom Allen has a new DC. Matt Gary, who, by the way, was at Ohio State the year before. Like there'll be, you know, you will, there will be some moments of adversity. You got to pick up blitzes. You got to look at third and 12 in the eye. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I I thought it would be McCord the whole time just because he had an, an edge in experience. And he, I think, is just a little bit more polished passer and distributor. And with those weapons, I don't think you need to be super dynamic. I think you need to be super consistent. And McCord always fit that profile better for me. But I'm excited to see both of them, Reese. Like, Devin Brown's got some wiggle to his game. I want to see all 3-3 rolling it out there. So let's go. How do you think that's going to look? I think it's going to look I mean, I brought this up before. I I think about it. Some guys can pull it off, and some guys it just, just looks weird. When Michigan did the thing with Devin Gardner and he wore 98 for Tom Harmon, yeah. that looked weird. When you watch the old BC tapes from back in the day, our, our buddy Doug Flutie wearing 22, that looks right. Um, you know, even Bernie Kosar wearing 20 at Miami, that that looked okay. Um, I don't know about 33, maybe. I mean, you're talking about a guy who had like Larry Bird posters on his wall growing up, right? So of course I'm going to like number 33. So I, I, I'm probably a bad, a bad person to ask. I thought I, I went to one of their practices. I thought it looked pretty cool. So did you? Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to consider it. Yeah. Want to have yeah, a look? Give at it a it. shot. But give it a shot. Mid third quarter. Anything that anything that pays tribute to the past. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be stuck in the past, but I think it's nice to show that 
you don't dismiss it. You know, that there is, that it's okay to have an appreciation for the, especially the nostalgia in this sport, which mm-hmm. is short of baseball, probably unlike any other in terms Fair. of its, of yeah. its tie to the past. So we have all those things. We have Florida traveling early to avoid the wrath of the tropical storms. And certainly we hope uh, that, that everything goes well for everyone in Florida. The Gators going to move out a little early, uh, went to Dallas to train for night. Then they'll wind up for their Thursday night opener against Utah. And with that Thursday night opener against Utah looming and the guy who can look ahead and give us SP plus matchups on all of these games going forward and also gloat about winning a stake. Here comes the great Bill Connolly. Bill, great to have you with us again. You'll be making uh, picks, giving us some help throughout the season on the College Game Day podcast. And you won the race for the ribeye last year. That's right. And the three of us haven't been able to get together. However, <laughs> by by end of business today, Pete and I are going to have this taken care of if you approve. Pete, why don't you tell him the, the legwork you've done on this? So, Bill, I uh, I am Catholic, and I have Catholic guilt. I hate owing people things. So it is it has lingered over my mind since we were unable to connect in Connecticut a couple weeks ago when you're up here that we need to get Bill Connolly paid. All right. <laughs> now this could be because there's been a few mafia references on this pod recently, and maybe I just don't want like a lead pipe over my uh, over my knee by a certain former SEC basketball coach. But regardless, uh, we are going to pay our debt. So I did some research. I texted some folks at Missouri. And I said, I need to know the name of the best steakhouse in Columbia. I was given CC City Broiler. Yeah. But I did not want to, if in case you had an affinity for another place or something against CC's fine broiling, um, <laughs> I, I would, I, we would certainly pivot. But we were, we were prepared to execute the transaction pending your approval, grand winner of the ribeye. I'm absolutely not going to turn down CC's. I will say Bardow, Butcher, and table or something. Bardow in Columbia is tremendous. Uh, so it's really, you know, you want to look at the menus and decide which one you would think. Well, no, Bill, you're going to go there. No, so. you're you're going to eat, Bill, <laughs> yes. and you're taking your bride. We're going to have enough bride. so you can take your bride. Yeah. Okay. So where would you like to go, Bill? How about, you know, I'll make my wife happy. Her favorite place is Bardow. My favorite place might be Bardow. We'll do Bardow. Okay. Is it Bar D-O-W-N? B-A-R-R-E-D. Bardow. Owl. Like, like a hoot oh, owl, like like a hoot owl, barred, barred owl. owl, like okay. a, like a rice owl or a Kennesaw State owl. Um, it's good, so we'll say Kennesaw State. Okay, <laughs> how how about oh, oh, what, oh, what does sorry. that what does sorry. that say about Temple that oh, I went yeah. rice Kennesaw State before That's I true. thought Temple? They might be the that, best owls this year, actually. So that, that is unfortunate. Yeah, it's a bad year for owls. <laughs> <laughs> what what's the what's the best upside for the endangered species owls from temple this year bill they have a potentially solid defense and they have a warner quarterback um i i floors here pretty low what's his name ej warner like it wasn't yeah, that's just it. the most amazingly consistent offense in the world last year uh but they flashed upside i think they're actually i think i had them as one of my overachievement candidates now it's it's overachieving where sp plus sets the bar which is very low um but i do think they can be they'll be a little saltier this year what do you get at barred owl bill so 
they do. They have their own butcher uh, situation going on there, and uh, they they deal with a lot of the farms nearby for meat for for anything to go with the meat. And so they have the best burger in Colombia. Okay. Uh, no no apologies or you know all all due respect to Butches, the famous Butches. Um, Bardell's probably got the best burger, but then they always have like a, you know, they'll have rabbit or they'll have all these kind of fancier things as well. So you really can't order just, rabbit with this gift certificate. Okay. You just can't. That's <laughs> fine. They have a good, they have a solid shrimp and grits. They, they cover their bases in other words. And it's really what you, what you're in the mood for at any given time. Well, will you be so full upon <laughs> exiting the barred owl that you will go straight to the apathy trailer to tanksville <laughs> oh interesting that, uh, was, that was a reference that, you didn't get from earlier in the podcast apparently yeah. no um i i they, the desserts are, are are not necessarily amazing at bardell or at least plentiful you can avoid them therefore you're not as full uh you know for whatever that's worth we hope whenever you take your bride there, a picture of the copious red meat not rabbit is taken so we can tweet out and we can offer you uh, your congratulations fully and formally, although we will not be actually dining together. We, I do feel like we need to we need to tip our cap to your uh, to you sucking less than us. In I was about to say, don't say anything good here. It wasn't nobody picked <laughs> made good picks last year, uh, but it's all about just finishing first. Oh, they do have well, a, a, a Wagyu tri tip right now. Ooh, uh, a nice maple brine pork chop. Uh, there are some options. Right. I'll ignore the rabbit confit though. I'll I'll, I'll skip. Thank that. you. Thank you. Your bride can get it if she wants. We're not going to be picky about that. <laughs> well, let's dive into the smorgasbord that is the Thursday slate for week one. And we might as well start right at the top in terms of marquee value, with all due respect, to Nebraska, Minnesota, which is not bad at all. But let's start with Florida and Utah. I mentioned a few moments ago that Florida's traveling a little early due to the circumstances surrounding the the storms uh, bearing down of the Sunshine State, where exactly Florida is in terms of its development, uh, coming off just an abysmal finish last year in the Vegas Bowl as they go in, uh, go in to take on Utah, which has some questions of its own about uh, the health of Cam Rising, whether Brant Keithy's ready to go 100%, and what that will look like in the early stages. But there's some, there's some payback at play. There is a raucous environment awaiting uh, the mighty Gators. So what? Do, how do you break this one down, Bill? You know, I mean, obviously it's hard when when the best player in the game, nobody knows his status. That, that makes it kind of hard to preview anything. But obviously if we just kind of assume the rising plays and, and that he's a, a decent approximation of himself, it really is a, a nice first test. I think Utah's better in that instance, but I do think this is – you know, Billy Napier, among all else, all other things, he knows how to build a very physical team. And you start looking at the sizes of the guys in the trenches on both sides of the ball for Florida. Uh, obviously, being big doesn't automatically make you good. But, you know, you got some 320 pounders, a 360 something pounder on offense. You've got, of course, you know, Desmond Watson, 400 something on defense, um, it, making Cam Jackson from Memphis look small at 6'6", 355. Uh, there's just a lot of beef there. And I think um, that will, you know, if, if nothing else, that'll help to counter what Utah usually brings to the table. That's usually they can count on being the more physical team, the bully uh, against some of those Pac-12 teams. 
it's going to be hard to do that. I don't think Florida's good enough elsewhere. Their linebacking core is getting a reset. Their secondary might not be very good. Uh, receiving core, I mean, they got Pearsall, but we'll see what else. So maybe they don't have enough weapons overall. But if Kim Rising isn't 100%, I do think this ends up being a really, really close game because I don't see where else Utah stands out if they can't win the trenches. I think all all very fair analysis. Um, <laughs> I I, uh, I I think I've hinted at this in the last pod that I like uh, I, I like Utah in this game. I was around mm. Florida for their uh, for their spring game on our uh, ESPN Plus broadcast, and I thought the most impressive player on their roster was Cam Jackson, the nose tackle who transferred from Memphis. Now Desmond Watson is a lunar eclipse of a human, and I'm glad <laughs> you brought him up because mother of mercy, that is a big big fella. Um, but Cam Jackson to me was like the type of plugger you need to win a game like this. Uh, yeah. He's, you know, he's the body type archetype of what you need in the SEC to, to be competitive. Um, you know, they have uh, their, their other really high end player on defense up front is uh, Princely Uman Mielin, who's kind of your classic SEC edge rusher, like a third round pick guy. And then uh, Shamar James, the uh, sophomore linebacker is one of the best young players in that program. So they're starting to bring in guys. I just think with the, with the work and the guys they brought in on their offensive line um, outside Kingsley uh, Ekequan, and I'm probably going to butcher that. Like, I just feel like that is a bad adjustment game for for an offensive line with a bunch of new pieces. So um, I think we'll see rising, but that's a thought, not anything sourced out. Like it just feels like it's trending that way a yeah. little bit. And, uh, you know, we might not see the best version of him, but I think we'll see him. And I think Utah figures out a way to to out. They they have built themselves for this moment where they should be able to push Florida around on the right field. And I and I feel pretty confident in that. It's six and a half. It's a lot of points, right? Like Utah doesn't, you know, they're, they're not a 52 nothing operation, right? This isn't <laughs> Chip Kelly's Oregon teams, but I, uh, I, I feel like they could, they can put them away and, and win by touchdown. Yeah. To, to reference my SP plus ratings, it has Utah by 7.4 without knowing anything about any quarterback situation or anything like that. So if you think rising is anything less than a hundred percent, the edge from a betting standpoint, at least seems to go towards Florida. It's just, you know, how much and, and, this was a weird one, like uh, making projections right now when the clock rules have completely changed, but we don't know what they've changed yet is, is a really weird situation to be in. And so from for my numbers, what I ended up doing was basically estimating that it was going to be like 5% fewer plays, drives, points, et cetera. Um, that was the best I could do just looking at the how many first downs happen outside the last two minutes of each half and trying to figure out what 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 averages might be at play. So long story short, uh, SP Plus likes basically every favorite this week and, and also likes every under this week. And that's a really, really strange place to be. Um, I don't I, so I as far as Florida Utah that's probably a slow paced game anyway um so maybe that does keep things a little closer as well but it's a really strange environment right now in terms of trying to make picks when none of us really know how the clock works right now so who did are you they going like UMass with? did your numbers like UMass last week or this week last week uh I don't think so I think it, no no it, it had them covered it had New Mexico oh, it State did? winning but wow. UMass covering yeah yeah so well, yeah 
Who, yeah, do, it, who do you it, like, it, Bill? Are you taking uh, the Gators in the points? Or I, I'm going to say I'm going to lean slightly towards Florida. Yeah, just on the assumption that even if Rising plays, he's not 100% Rising. Um, anything less than that, and I think Florida covers, yeah. I've gone back and forth. I told Pete yesterday that I was leaning toward taking Florida, and as long as I didn't go back and watch the Vegas Bowl, that I felt mm. pretty good about that. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't do that, but sometimes in the early part of the season, you get seduced by the number. You go, that's a lot of points. It's really <laughs> only one touchdown. And I think that the place is going to be rocking. I'm, I, I'm a little scared. Because if Rising's not good, or if he doesn't play, then I think Florida's got a great chance to cover. But at the end of the day, do I think Florida can go to Utah in its current state and win the game? The answer to that is no. So I'm going to go with the Utes at home and to cover the cover the six and a half. Betting on Graham Mertz or picking on Graham Mertz, when you sit there in the middle of the second quarter, you're going to be like, we've talked about this in the pod in the past, the, why did I possibly pick Graham Mertz? And I have to sit here and like watch hey, and ride with him for, for four quarters. The one thing we know Graham Mertz can do is make a really good first impression, though. That uh, is that's true. true. Second, that third, true. fourth, But it doesn't make you know. one sense, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that one. Um... That was against Lovey Smith. So <laughs> Granted. But, you know, because I'm always rooting rooting for the players. Yes, I hope the change of, of scenery helps the guy. I do too. Because He's you know, he took man. a he yeah. took a lot of he took a lot of junk and a lot of it was because he set the bar so high yeah. uh, when he first, you know, first came out with that what one one ball hit the ground, five yep. touchdown passes or whatever it was. And, you know, that's a lot to live up to from a program that had been really looking for a star at quarterback since Russell Wilson, you know, a big time star. Thought they had it, didn't work out. I hope it works out for him and he, and he plays well on Thursday Amen. night. $5, bits of broken chair, Thursday night, best trophy in all of college football. <laughs> the debut of Matt Rule against Goldie the Gopher. Uh, Minnesota is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite over Rule and Nebraska. What say you about this matchup here, Mr. Connolly? I – if we, you know, the, our last impressions, we were just talking about the last impression with Florida. I, I have no idea. I would have guessed that the spread for this game would have been like 10, 12, 13 points, just based on kind of how history's gone for these two teams recently and what Minnesota brings back, uh, you know, really I, I, on defense more than offense, I guess. But I I trust Minnesota a lot more than I I think Nebraska has the upside to keep this within a touchdown. I Matt Rule's going to do good things there, um, just like I said, Scott Frostwood, I guess. Um, but he's he's got a reputation, he's got a track record. He also doesn't really have a track record for immediate success. He's going mm-hmm. to take his time, uh, and I think Minnesota's basically got the program rule once in another year or two. Vibes are weird for Minnesota in this offseason, uh, but I do think they've got more than seven and a half points of talent uh, advantage right now. Hard to – there's so much unknown um, about uh, about Nebraska right now. I do think we're going to see the quarterback run game mm-hmm. a little bit more from, from Nebraska, and I do think we'll see improved special teams. We'll see just an improved program soup to nuts, conditioning. I mean yep. – when I think of the failures of Scott Frost at Nebraska, his tombstone would say flopped in fourth quarter, failed on special teams. Right. <laughs> so those two things w- will be addressed and <laughs> lost every possible close game. Yeah. Um, 
I really like Ethan Kalik Manis. I think that Minnesota, which Reese's pointed on the pod, was one of the most run-heavy Power 5 teams, if not the most. I think they get a little bit more balanced out here on uh, here on offense. Chris Ottman-Bell back for a seventh year. <laughs> Let's hope he stays healthy and can uh, do that. Now, they lost, obviously, both tackles and some of that beef up front. But yeah. from talking to P.J. Fleck and some folks in the program, they feel good about maintaining that identity. Quinn Carroll, the guard who transferred from Notre Dame's a draft pick. So I really feel like Minnesota can can grind them out and, and win by two touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this will be down to, I mean, when you've got Jets into the quarterback, um, you know he's going to be able to contribute a lot to the run game. But if they're mm-hmm. off schedule at all, things could go really far south. Um, with with You're right, I think with Minnesota, not only Kelly McManus, who I do think had a couple of really nice flashes last year, you know, coming in, being the guy this time, and having a really, really interesting receiving core. Not only Ottman Bell, you've got Daniel Jackson. Um, you've got a couple of really interesting G5 transfers, uh, Corey Crooms, Elijah Spencer. Uh, if one of those guys hits, then you have last year's uh, leading receiver, the year before's leading receiver, and then a new, a really, really, at least one really, really nice receiver too. I, I think that's, they're going to want to run the ball because that's what they do, but they have a lot of, you know, versatility there. And I'm not sure Nebraska can handle that right out of the gate. I believe Minnesota also has another transfer, Sean Tyler from Western Michigan, who's gone yep. for a thousand yards a couple of times in his career. So maybe yep. he's the guy that ends up carrying it. Uh, Pete referenced a couple of things about Nebraska. They've lost 19 of their last 23 one-score games, 0-8 <laughs> last year. 5-20 and 20 in one-score games under Frost. They lost 14 games by single digits in the last two yep. seasons. 14. Yeah. But there's a, there's a flip side to this. They didn't get blown out that often, and it was because of the things that Pete referenced earlier. I think Minnesota wins the game, but I'm taking the touchdown and a, and a hook. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Nebraska, hmm. that this right. game yeah. kind of slogs down slow, is going to end up feeling like a, I was starting to say 24-17, but that's too clean a score. <laughs> it, it's more like a, it's more like a 22-16 kind of game, you know, or – 27-21, something like that. So I'm going to take, you're right, Temple, Baylor, disastrous in terms of record in the first year for Matt Rule. I'm going to say they stay within the number and sort of raise some eyebrows in the fact that they look a little cleaner in, in terms of the way they play, but it, be, it will be yet another one-score loss uh, for the Cornhuskers, but one <laughs> that gives them some hope. Yeah, I mean, that is one thing to keep in mind, too, is you know, new clock rules. This game could last about an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> if, if, Je- if Jeff Sims, if this is really a run-heavy yeah. uh, attempt from, from Nebraska and, and nobody really uses tempo, that first quarter is going to be done in like 15 and a half minutes. And um, that obviously doesn't give a team like Minnesota all that many chances to just you know, build their advantages and build a, a lead all that much. So it could stay close for that reason alone. Yeah, we'll have an early wake-up call in Charlotte, Reese and I, so we'd appreciate an ex- expedited game so we can watch uh, it and then get, we'll see, get yeah. six good hours rest before uh, game day on Saturday. That would that would be helpful. What about North Carolina State, Robert and I, Brennan Armstrong back together, and uh, you don't just stroll into the rent anymore and waltz <laughs> out with a victory at the con, but they are uh, not only bringing new quarterback, 
new offensive coordinator, maybe new offensive philosophy, but they're also bringing a 14 and a half point favorite, a favorite with them. So what do you think about NC State and the con? Yeah, um, my numbers don't understand why this is a two touchdown game. Um, my numbers really don't like UConn at all. I kind of thought it was a little bit on the fluky side last year, um, you know, close wins or whatever. And so I think if, if, we start there and see that SP plus has it like 25 points for NC state. And then we factor in the fact that Brennan Armstrong and Robert and I seem to need each other a little bit. They seem to bring out the best in each other to some degree. Um, you know, they've got a couple of new transfer receivers as well. I feel like NC state might be a little bit of an overachievement candidate on offense, especially like I have them projected like 60th on offense, 20th on defense. If they're like a top 30 team instead of a top 40 team, they win this game by more than two touchdowns. I think, you know, I, I kind of like what Moore is building it in at UConn just in terms of sturdiness and defense and all that. But I think NC State's going to have more than enough defense to keep them, you know, pretty low on the scoreboard. And, and if the offense really does overachieve, then this one's not a two touchdown game. Well, last year it was a 31 point game. So it, 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 it makes sense. And, and UConn, which had a remarkable season last year, uh, when it was outclassed, showed it was outclassed, yeah. right? Yeah, if you can like, contain it, then that's one thing, and then it gets out of control, yeah. Yes, exactly. And uh, is essentially the, uh, the defensive coordinator, right? Jim Moore knows what he's doing on that side of the football. But against Syracuse, Michigan, NC State, um, and, and, and Army uh, late, they, uh, they, you know, they faltered and army probably didn't have superior talent to them, but the, the others did. Um, the reason I'm going to go with the Huskies is that I really feel like they were, they did what they did last year by being essentially dysfunctional on offense. I think their pass game was like 128th in the country. Like they did it all with one hand tied behind their back and still managed to, to get bowl eligible. So I, uh, I really feel like, with another influx of transfers, with another roster adrenaline shot, and the, the case going um, where they can keep building off of uh, the foundation more set, um, I'm always a huge Thursday night. You know, again, it's not a short week or anything, but uh, like home underdogs in night games in in moments like Thursday where there'll be a big audience uh, watching that game on CBS Sports. I, I really feel like. That can that can sway and, uh, and and be a factor. So, uh, interestingly, Maine's backup last year, Joseph Fagano, is going to start for the for UConn um, over Taquan Roberson, who was starter last year, got injured very soon and uh, went. But I just feel like there's another class of talent there, and uh, and and there's a lot of unknown NC State both sides of the ball. We can you know we can. Uh, Count on Peyton Wilson to have his typical 21 tackles, right? Isn't he like contractually guaranteed to have that every game? Um, and he is back. But I just feel like there's enough unknowns where they, I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if like UConn's up a field goal in the third quarter, you know what I mean? And then ends up uh, ends up just slogging out and losing by 10. If there is a team historically that can go into a game like this and stumble around, flounder around, and mess it up and make you have that feeling that Pete referenced earlier. How in the world did I back these guys again? It's North Carolina State. <laughs> Brennan Armstrong perhaps makes it different. 
Now, he was a three-year captain at Virginia. He was on the grounds longer than Mr. Jefferson, okay? So it's going to be a little jarring to see him somewhere else. But when he has Bob Anai, who I once had a meeting with before a game where he destroyed um, a bag of pistachio nuts and gave us nothing in the process and then went out and put on an, uh, an offensive show like you couldn't believe. With Bob and I, and I'm calling that because I oh, like him. Can we I call pistachio Bob? Yeah. yeah. Uh, with him, Armstrong's QBR is 73. That's very good. Without him, it's 44. That's very ungood. I think Armstrong comes back. I think he plays well. I think he wants to make a point. They were out outgained by nearly 50 yards per game against ACC opponents. This is not an ACC opponent. One thing I would like to see, can they run the ball? Do you guys know only one running back scored a rushing touchdown for North Carolina State last yeah. year? And he transferred to Kentucky. <laughs> so, you know. Good player. Yeah, Demi uh, Sumo Kongbai. Yeah, really good player. Don't, don't, don't put that out there too much, Pete. He might show up on Saturday and where and the where did he wind up? Uh, transfer portal grab bag thing. So we don't want to. We'll see which of our colleagues to listen to the pod, Reese. Exactly. We sure will. <laughs> Dropping so, breadcrumbs. Yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm going to take NC State, lay them and laugh, encourage them to go to, Go to Clinton, go to Lobster Landing, get one of the best lobster rolls, if not the best you'll ever see. Swing back through New Haven on your way out of town and stop by Pepe's, Sally's, yeah. or Modern and have a pie. And waltz out of there with at least a 15-point victory. I'm, I'm going to take NC State and lay the points. Yeah, Dick Doran is in a really weird place just overall in terms of perception because back long ago when I first started writing it was mostly about Missouri I always talked about how Gary Pinkle would basically overachieve in the most disappointing possible way he always beat expectations and you always felt disappointed at the end of the season um he kind of he topped that eventually he started you know doing very very good things at the end of the season but it does feel that way with Dave Doran Dave Doran's turned NC State into a very very consistent winner even more than like a Bill O'Brien type um, well, he's won nine games many times, came so close to 10 the one year where their bowl got canceled. And that's big. That, he's still whatever. pissed about that. But oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, but it's um, because NC State has won 10 win season yeah, in its ever. entire history. The one I always say about NC State, they're the one program, the one fan base that can genuinely claim to be cursed. They've had too much talent to, to, to have one 10 win season. But Doran's made them a consistent winner, and it always feels like he's leaving wins on the table. It's a really weird place to be. They haven't won the ACC since 1979. <laughs> Carolina hasn't won it since 1980. Jimmy Carter was president the last time those two teams. Oh, that's right. Cornerstone yeah, programs one. of the ACC, and they haven't even stumbled into one since then. Huh. Dick yeah. Crum. Dick Crum, Bill. He's Dick a good Crum. coach. Yeah. So – Thamel's taking the con, and you and I are on the side yes. of laying it with the Wolfpack. Is that correct? Correct. correct. Okay. All right, let's do one more before we get the only game Connolly really cares about here. <laughs> um, ACC game, a couple of uh, a debut and a semi-debut. As Jeff Brom returns to Louisville, seven-and-a-half-point favorite. He's got Jack Plummer at quarterback, who's played for him before. Uh, started at Purdue, went to Cal, now at Louisville. And Brent Key, now officially the full-time head coach at Georgia Tech after going 4-4 four and four after taking over on an interim basis last year from Jeff Collins. How do you feel about that, about that game? 
what what do your numbers say about it first, Bill? Yeah, I mean, this is one of those like when when SP Plus is leaning all on one side with the favorites, it makes me a little nervous. But then I see lines like Louisville and by seven and a half, and I think I like my numbers better. Um, SP Plus has Louisville by fifteen and a half. Um, if you count it as a neutral field, more like 13 and a half, if we, if we count it as like a Georgia tech home field situation instead, I don't really know what the, what the ratio in the Mercedes Benz dome is going to be, but, um, maybe it's more like I would either way, it's empty like sheets in any ratio. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll say two touchdowns, um, which is a heck of a lot more than what the spread says at the moment. And I think really the only way I can explain the spread is that those last two games of last year for Georgia Tech, um, you know, they they upset North Carolina. Uh, they played Georgia much closer for a while than than anybody really expected them to. And, you know, they didn't have just a massive – I mean, I think they were plus zero in turnovers both games. So maybe that was real. So it's just such a tiny, tiny sample. And I think what Louisville brought in through the transfer portal – I like a lot of the guys they brought in. Jamari Thrash, the receiver from Georgia State. Um, lots and lots of offensive linemen. He basically returns about half of last year's starters and then added like 10 or 12 FBS starters on top of that. I think this is a really talented, deep team. Not necessarily ACC contender, because I do think both Florida State and Clemson will keep their distance there. But I think Louisville has a will have a shot at being the third best team in the conference, and if they're the third best team, they're beating they're beating Georgia Tech by a lot more than seven and a half. Yeah, I I agree with Bill. Uh, I think Jamari Thrash is going to be like a breakout, you know, second team All ACC type receiver who came over from Georgia State. Uh, I was through there in the spring, and Jeff Brom was really high on him. I just think Louisville has the skill. Jeff Brom knows how to call plays, perhaps as well as anyone in college football, and they're going to yeah. score points. And uh, I just feel like I have faith in that operation uh, more so than the than the flash and the kind of a what we saw from Georgia Tech was an adrenaline shot. It <laughs> wasn't like a sample size quite yet. So yeah. I'll take uh, I'll take Brahms track record with a quarterback who knows his system with some superior skill to, to win this game by 20 points. I'm going to take Tech in the points. Mm-hmm. Um I think some of it's real. I think they've done a pretty good job in adding some adding some talent in the transfer portal. Yeah, um, you know they've you know they brought in a new uh, new offensive coordinator. Got Chris Winky working with Buster Faulkner there. Thacker and Scherer, who have uh, you know Georgia backgrounds coming over. They've even got a transfer from Georgia, and Dominic Blaylock, who just couldn't stay healthy at Georgia. Um, Haynes King, the quarterback, you know. Louisville, Jeff Brom always seems to, he's done better against teams that he's not supposed to beat, you know? <laughs> and uh, he's he's up for that, man. I mean, they will they will crush people. He's got eight wins over AP-ranked opponents in his coaching career. <laughs> his team was unranked in all of them. Yeah. Eight and three wow. against the top five. You know, sometimes these others, and when you talk about the transition in the first game and away from home, um, I'm not I'm not willing. I like what they brought in. I agree with you guys about the explosive capabilities, and I may live to regret this. Early season game, I'll I'll go ahead and take the hometown guys who still feel like they have a chance. Everybody's got everybody's got a, a belief on opening night. I'm not so sold that Louisville's gonna be great immediately that I'm willing to lay the big numbers. Now, you know. Feel free to text me when Louisville's up twenty-one nothing after three possessions. But uh, I'll go ahead and I'll 
I'll alter, I'll go contrarian on you guys, and I'll take Georgia Tech and and Brent Key to keep that one close, and maybe a shot at an upset. Who knows? Well, Look we're doing a good job. You. We're we're doing a good job of making sure none of this is unanimous. That's very important. Yes, because um, that way we know when we're unanimous, the other side's going to win. That's right. <laughs> that's the only thing unanimity uh, <laughs> ensures us of. Yeah, the game that you care about the most, Bill, is South Dakota at Missouri. I was just on uh, shameless plug here. I was just on Jim Donnan's podcast, and we were talking about the SEC East as a whole. And I told him I thought one of the most underrated things that happened last year that could possibly carry into this year was the improvement of the Missouri defense yeah. last year, which was, and they returned a bunch of those guys. What about getting the season off to a start against uh, South Dakota? Well, first of I mean, all, Bill, will you be there? Oh yeah, no Thursday night. It's it's my daughter's twelfth uh, birthday. She wants oh. to go see some friends. We'll we'll hang out. We'll do what we do. We'll go to what is I'm sure going to be an abbreviated tailgate since most of the Missouri fan base lives two hours away, and it's a Thursday night game. But um, no, it it, it it should be a lovely afternoon, eighty something degrees, oh. not too hot. It'll be it'll be a good experience. Um, yeah. So this time last year about Missouri, basically what. Um, it was two things, you know, Eli Drinkwitz is entering what was then his third year. He hasn't figured out his quarterback yet. And he hasn't figured out his defensive coordinator yet. He's got, he's checked one of those boxes. He and Blake Baker hit it off nicely. And, and Baker had really good personnel uh, for being as aggressive as he wanted to be. Most of that personnel comes back, kind of need a couple new defensive ends to step up, but the linebackers are going to be good. Secondary is going to be super physical, probably pretty nasty, um, defensive tackles, I, I think, are going to be solid um, as well. So that's that's a good defense right there. And you look at the offense; it's in better shape than it's been in a while. It's just he still doesn't know what he has at the quarterback position, and it's pretty clear just by his actions here, saying you know last year's starter Brady Cook, he'll he'll start, but Sam Horn, the the blue chip redshirt freshman, is going to get some action. Um, he's it feels like he's trying to give Sam Horn every opportunity to beat out Brady Cook and therefore kind of raise the ceiling for the offense. We'll see. Cook was hurt. He had a torn labrum for most of last season, and he still got better late in the year. So maybe that's a good sign in and of itself. But if Missouri's got a quarterback, you're looking at, you know, South Dakota, Middle Tennessee, uh, Memphis in St. Louis, at Vanderbilt. Really, you know, those are extremely winnable games early. Kansas State at home is basically a toss-up. They'll have a shot at at starting four and one, five and zero, oh, and really building some buzz. But if if they don't get any better at quarterback, Kansas State is going to beat them, and Memphis might, and Vanderbilt could be interesting too. So st- still a lot up in the air based on how good the quarterback play is. I think they had six touchdown passes against SEC opponents all year no. last year. That's that's not very good. Not good. Got got to. Got to improve that, and for your sake, I hope they do. Bill, who are your playoff teams? See, I always feel like I've got my reliable, like boring, predictable list, and then the ones that I want to happen just because it'd be a lot more entertaining. I do Give think us those. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, the the boring one is pretty obvious at this point. You know, we we saw most of it last year. At the very least, Georgia, one of Michigan and Ohio State, probably one of Alabama and LSU. And then, you know, if there's a one-loss team in the Pac-12, there you go, or something something to that effect. We know who the four best teams are to start the year, or at least the, the ones who deserve to be at the top of the list. But I, I do love how many Pac-12 teams have a shot at going 12-1. That's been their issue. We, you know, Pac-12 hasn't been all that great, but the major thing is just that nobody's gotten to 12-1. And, and um, 
you know, I think USC, Oregon, Washington, at the very least, have a shot. If Utah can survive early with a rusty cam rising, they'll have a shot. And that's just that's a lot of fun. That's a really fun race. Oregon State, obviously, everybody's going to be rooting for Oregon State this year uh, for pretty obvious reasons. And and that would be a lot of fun, too. And, and you know, we've got like six teams in the Big 12 that if Texas decides, well, we're, we're never going to figure out close games. We're always going to go eight and five because we're going to lose five one score games every year like they have the last two, I think. Um, who's who's next in the in the Big 12? TCU, K-State again, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State. I kind of like OSU. I talk myself into them a little bit. So that's where the fun of the playoff comes in here is just that at least in two conferences, so, so many teams can get to 12 and one and keep things entertaining. So I'll predict Georgia versus Alabama and Ohio state, Michigan, <laughs> just so, just so anything that happens is a nice, fun, pleasant surprise on top of that. Well, that's a good game day theme because that's what both, I believe Pat and Kirk picked on the set. Is oh, that really? right, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it, it is. I was, uh, usually it's Desmond. Desmond might've gone outside a little bit. <laughs> A couple of things that in turn, those guys make the picks. I sort of chime in. I was the only one who thought that USC was going to win the Pac-12. I was certainly the only one to have USC in the playoff, and I have, um, I have Florida State in the playoff too, Bill. Yeah, I, I, I don't it. think they're going to win both of those games in September. Um, and I understand that if you know if they get whacked in either of them, certainly in both, and even if right. they run the table the rest of the way, they're not going couple of close losses, everything falls right, maybe. But if they split them, yeah, then all they have to, you know, then they win the ACC, I think they're getting in. You know, as long as the LSU game's competitive, if that were to be the loss. so Yeah, I, and they, I think they definitely need the LSU game more. But, I mean, you're right. They, th- those two really early games, they're a very high-continuity team. And, mm-hmm. you know, they because of that alone, they're kind of more likely to find – whatever their fifth gear is, they're kind of more likely to find it sooner, I think. And that's good because they're the two most vital games are right there at the start. So, yeah, I think Florida State's got a shot. I, I don't think – my numbers like Clemson in the ACC still have them seventh overall. Maybe it's just burden of proof, but I need to mm-hmm. see from both Garrett Riley and the defense that wasn't as good as it was supposed to be last year. I think they've got a lot to prove, and I'm not sure I trust them um, all as much as I do Florida State right now. So yeah. – you know, an interesting thing about Florida State, and I'm not saying this at all to try to couch a prediction or anything like that. History says that there will be someone in the top 10 preseason yeah. that finds up on, winds up unranked. If those two September games, the opener against LSU and the one in a few weeks at Clemson, don't go Florida State's way. And maybe one of them, you know, is, you know, they get whooped pretty good. Yeah. That's the type of psychological damage that can that can fracture you and send you into a tailspin. So while I don't think that's going to happen, so I don't want to appear to be backing away from Florida State in any way, shape, form, or fashion, just acknowledging that because of the way they start and because they, you know, a couple guys come back uh, to do this, a lot of experience, that that is the formula that will then challenge Mike Norvell to hold it all together if things don't go well in the first month of the season. Yeah. Bill, I was going to ask you this. Do you agree and do, do, you, do your numbers agree that the field appears to be more open this year? Like there's probably, I think, four really good brands that have a chance to break through and make their first playoff. If you look at Texas, you look at Penn State, you look at USC, 
Who's the fourth? Oh, New Florida State, right? No, Florida like, State's yeah. been though. They, they have been. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yep. No, that's yeah. my apologies. That was uh, Jimbo back back in the day. But like four relative, you know, outsiders yeah. in recent history. Do you did you just agree this is a more open field than than some other than some other seasons uh, r- right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I can certainly see that just because, you know, from a number standpoint, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama in, in, in my SP Plus ratings are all within a point of each other. Hmm. Um, it does have Georgia kind of falling back to the pack. And I'm really curious about the way that the transfer portal can close gaps. You know, Georgia doesn't need the transfer portal. They, they got a couple of receivers and otherwise they're just going to keep their blue chip train come, uh, charging on here. But LSU, the way they've gone out and and – you know, signed plenty of blue chippers, but then signed a lot of other FBS high level starters as well for the last couple of years. And, and, you know, Tennessee's done a little of that, not as much. USC's actually, I actually like his defensive transfers this year. I didn't really at all last season. So I'm, I'm curious if that allows teams like that to, to close the gap on the teams that don't need to use the portal as much, but yeah, I mean, I think, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama. We'll start them at the out ahead of the pack. It's going to be really hard for the, all of four of those teams to get just the right number of wins and losses to all four make it. And therefore, yeah, Penn State has massive, massive potential. Maybe more in 2024 than 23 because everybody we say has potential is a sophomore right now and, and they're going to you know carry over to next year. But I'm really excited to see what they have to offer. Tennessee, I think could upset everything in the SEC if Joe Milton sticks this time. If he doesn't get sacked more times than he throws touchdown passes, um, then suddenly they're in great position to upset Georgia and screw everything up for everybody at the end of the year. Um, and, and you know, USC, whoever whoever plays defense among USC, Oregon, and, and Washington will have a, a really, really solid shot too. So I get it. I, I know I, four teams start out on front, but they're not all likely to make the playoff together. Therefore, at least one spot's pretty wide open here. And why do I feel like when all of us keep talking, me included, that we're just sitting there letting LSU yeah. lie in the weeds with a veteran quarterback explosive playmakers, maybe the most dynamic defender in the country. And we're going, oh, this team, that team. And old BK sitting down there, got the accent mastered these days (laughs) and might just have everything poised for LSU to make a run. Bill, it's been been fun. You will, by end of business (laughs) today, have, have funds to take your bride to the barred owl. Yes, Bart or Butcher. a nice steak, or no, no like gift certificates <laughs> on the website, but, but we're still I, we're, like we're, we're going to work on it because it was yeah. the race for the ribeye. We'll do this all year, man. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for spending time with us, Bill. Absolutely. That is a great Bill Connolly, and this is the Wednesday from Week One edition of the College Game Day podcast. Thanks for listening. Download this wherever you prefer to get your podcast, and we will be back on Friday with a full slate of picks from Week One. We'll see you then.